This is Think Sustainability. I'm Jake Morecambe. Today, an exploration into an unseen force that not only filters your digital experience, but can be used to filter out the environment. The algorithm. I look, I think the, th- the best place to start is with the actual basic theory of what we're living in, okay? This is John. I'm John Marshall. Um, I'm a future fellow at UTS uh, working in the Faculty of Arts and Social Sciences. John says to understand why the algorithm is a potential threat, you need to know where it came from and what they do. And ultimately, that comes back to us. So I think it's important to actually say that when we're trying to make sense of the world, we are using brain algorithms. The algorithm is an attempt to solve a problem, and they do what our brains would do, only a thousand times faster. If you are ever trying to predict what will happen, then you have to be using some kind of algorithm. Algorithms are used as a tool to predict, but predicting outcomes relating to human activity is difficult. As John says, Human social systems are what we call complex systems. Human behaviour is erratic and unpredictable, which is ultimately what makes us complex. Now, an algorithm basically tries to predict a complex system. An algorithm, however, can't predict the entirety of a complex system, because ultimately it's working within the parameters of what it's been programmed to do assigned to make sense of certain variables and monitor trends over time. And up until now, algorithms have been used mostly in the financial sector, particularly when it comes to share trading. Um, Okay, the Australian dollar is worth 80 cents here and it's worth 80.02 cents here. I should buy the 80 cents and sell it at 80.2 cents in this other place and I should do it very, very quickly. But algorithms have evolved and today engage in so much more than just forex trading. In today's digital society, algorithms run rampant, essentially spoon-feeding you your personalised digital experience. To the algorithm, however, it's just doing its job. But as they become more and more sophisticated, they could actually be creating more problems than solutions. On this episode, you'll hear how algorithms can not only trap you in your own digital bubble, but how they could in fact distance us even further from the natural world. coming through yes i can hear perfectly fine looks very low doesn't it yes i think that is an ongoing problem with the studio right great (laughs) (laughs) 
So this is Shane Anderson, the producer of Think Digital Futures here at 2SER. And over the past few months, Shane has spent a lot of time unpacking the algorithm and what role it plays in the information age we find ourselves in. So we had like mass media in the 50s. Everything starts to be mass produced. We've got TV channels offering different options for TV shows. We've got so much of everything. It's almost overwhelming. And so what's been happening over the decades is that we've been developing ways of not making less media, but making that media fit our needs better. And so we've gone from like there's just millions of everything to an age of personalization where we log on now and all that all that millions of stuff is still out there, but it's tailored to us. And so what we see is what an algorithm thinks that we want to see. I see um, something to do with, with politics. Like I am really left in my politics. So when something, when Pauline Hansen says something controversial, Senator Brandis, my Twitter is only outrage. In light of our national security of this nation, at that comment, will you work with the... Will you Order work to actually left. ban the burqa in Australia, considering... Just a moment, Whereas, I think, you know, if on the right side was on Twitter, we would have completely different feeds of different responses to that Pauline Hanson comment. If it's my Facebook or Twitter feed algorithm, my feed, my life, what I see becomes siloed to what the algorithm programs me to Absolutely. see. Absolutely, and that's that's one of the real, real problems of the information society is really become a disinformation society because it saves you from seeing anything that you might disagree with. And if it does show you something that you might disagree with, it's already phrased in such a way that you can disagree with it even more. Because you're in a sphere in which you believe that already and then just with more and more of that information kind of coming at you, you're just reaffirming your stance. Yeah. And being kind of lost within your own bubble. I think that's what Jonathan Marshall's getting at. Like the, we just become siloed. Stuff stays online. Hmm. In our own likes and, and dislikes, like, because there's just so much out there. And he was saying that it's problematic for even, you know, researchers and as environmental researchers more specifically become engaged in science communication and trying to get their message out there when it comes to what is changing with the planet. If they are only following and then funneling out their research via their social media platforms... You know, I mean, psychologists talk about confirmation bias. They're only going to see what is being done within their space. Which is that we tend to seek for supportive evidence. All of us do this. And that creates a massive divide between the 97% and the 3%, that being those who agree unanimously that climate change is happening, and the 3% being the deniers who don't. And so it ultimately separates the science and separates... It's like you're preaching to the masses of who are already converted to what you're talking about. The algorithm siloing you to a feed of articles and information that it thinks you want to see, whether or not you're completely comfortable with that idea, is ultimately the algorithm doing what it's been programmed to do. And regardless... John argues that the fundamentals of what makes an algorithm an algorithm 
have been crucial in understanding the world around us. We have used predictive models before the algorithm to understand and model things like weather fluctuations, global temperature increases, and even sea level rise. We cannot deal with complex systems without using some kind of model. The way we model and predict has been crucial in orienting and preparing ourselves for future conditions, giving us an insight into what the future will indeed look like. But like these models, the predictive nature of the algorithm won't always give you a definitive answer. We can tell that climate will get warmer. Um, We can't tell what the weather will be like in a year, in a particular place, in a particular time. And as the algorithm evolves, it continues to bring about some unprecedented problems. In filtering the information, algorithms are prone to make mistakes. And by mistakes, I don't necessarily mean making an error, but rather an unintentional blip or providing a misguided answer. A good way to think about this is thinking of the ads in your Facebook sidebar. Most of the time, what's in your feed seems pretty normal and suited to you. But there's an ad there which seems out of place, with no real correlation to you or your everyday. The algorithm can sometimes pull from unexpected places, or seemingly make strange decisions. But one of the biggest blips to occur recently here in Australia is what happened with Centrelink and the robo-debt situation. So it was... This kind of automation implemented by Centrelink, where they were trying to figure out with using as less humans as possible, people who had been overpaid and who therefore owed Centrelink money. But it was the way they tried to figure it out that they got it wrong. So what they did was they basically came up with an algorithm that went through how much everyone was paid versus how much everybody earned in a year. And then when there was a discrepancy with that, when someone earned more than they should have been paid, then it automatically like came up with a letter and sent the letter off to people saying that they had debt, which sounds fairly straightforward. But what it didn't take into account was that when you declare for Centrelink, you declare fortnightly. But what this system was doing was calculating how much everyone earn over a year in average. So people who have like seasonal jobs, people who have like a six-week gig where they get paid pretty well, and then they get nothing in which they relied on Centrelink for the times it was a slump. It didn't take that into account. This blip in the system ultimately meant that many who didn't in fact owe Centrelink any money were sideswiped with a letter saying that they did, leaving them feeling unnecessarily berated. And this isn't the only example. Back in 2015, a software engineer noticed a fault in the Google image recognition algorithm, which, when compiling a group of his pictures, grouped together his black friends as gorillas. This is just one example in a growing Rolodex of misguided algorithms. But John says... These faults are hugely important. Again, it's worth noting that algorithms can vary greatly in complexity. Whether it's a conscious one or an unconscious one, whether it's a complicated one or an overly simple one. Algorithms are ultimately ingrained with biases, or John says filters, which is probably a more apt description. 
An algorithm is devised with an assigned purpose, and those purposes are different depending on what the algorithm is for. But assigning it a task does require parameters. And what we've seen with the Centrelink and Google image recognition algorithm is that these parameters can exclude important elements. The fortnightly payment system of Centrelink, for example, or just be completely unaware that labelling people of colour as gorillas is absolutely ridiculous and racist. That algorithms can miss crucial cues, but from an efficiency point of view still be doing their job. How ethical is the algorithm? John asks you to take this a step further. If we think back to the share trading algorithms, profitability is the goal and has been programmed into these systems. But if we are so focused on profits and we know that algorithms can bypass important variables, what could these algorithms be excluding? And at what cost? If you think it's really, really good for corporations to be making massive profit, and in fact corporations are making massive profit, but at the same time other people are not doing really well, or the environment's being trashed, or whatever, um, you may go and say, oh, your model is working perfectly, even though it's having all these really, really bad effects which are eventually going to disrupt the profitability of corporations, which is what you're after. Um, you know, that's, that's how it works. We get blinded by our perceptions of the model as being true. We do stuff which the model tells us to do. That may have an effect that we like, but it may have heaps and heaps of effects that we dismiss as irrelevant. The perpetual growth of algorithms in finance, in trade, in some of our most advanced sectors, John argues could create an even greater divide between the economy and the environment as an automated system that favours and strives for profit over ecology will not necessarily have woven within its parameters the disastrous nature of environmental loss. That's the sort of thing you can get when you're dealing with an environmental thing. Okay, what is actually the important part of the environmental system, the economic system and everything that you are trying to actually save or balance? And often it looks very much more like we are trying to save our economic system than we are trying to save our environmental system. And of course, eventually the economic system will fall down because you can't have an economic system without an ecology. Is this idea of the algorithm a tentacle of a capitalist market economy? If it's used in a capitalist market economy, then the answer to that is almost certainly yes. So it's a particular problem in the kind of capitalism that we have now, neoliberal capitalism, where essentially the market and profit are the only values. But, you know, if you had a state-controlled economy, the algorithms that were deployed would also have disruptive effects, but perhaps of a different type. All of this is just speculation as well. Like We don't know if algorithms will destroy the planet, but we have anxi- enough anxieties about it and we've seen... like It's just a tool, right? Algorithms are just a tool. They just, they're an extension of what we program it to do. So it's not 
anything new in the sense that, you know, an algorithm that's racist didn't invent racism. We've Humans have been racist since the dawn of time. But it's like an extension of that idea. And it's like moving the human out of that. What you've got is still something that's a reflection of the worst of humanity. And in some instances, the best as well. But in terms of the environment, you've got the fact that we're already fucking up the environment. And these algorithms are just taking the human element out of it and setting it on train tracks and letting go of the brake. We also need to talk about, you know, what it is that humans are actually for. This is absolutely fundamental. Would you say that the algorithmic culture which shapes us today, optimization, is our inevitable demise? Oh, we've got so many inevitable demises. Okay, Um, look, this is why I think, in fact, what we really need is a shift in worldview. We need to be able to understand that we cannot control everything in life. And that's just the nature of life. We also need to understand that disorder and mess are really natural and that tidying them up is not always a good thing. It's not always a good thing to let everything get completely messy, but it's not always a good thing to tidy them up or to ignore them because you think they're irrelevant. We keep getting ecological destruction. I think that's part of the nature of capitalist systems. It's also the nature of other systems, okay? I'm not saying only capitalist systems are destructive. But it doesn't matter how much we try and fiddle the capitalist system, it's still going to be destructive. And while we let that happen, we won't solve the problem. Have Have you, Scott, switched on? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so what I'm... Okay. It is important to remember that because systems are complex, we cannot know them completely consciously. and that, But we do have a form of unconscious knowing, which comes through interaction with the system itself. And that's why things like feel and repetition and interaction is really, really important. Uh, unconscious is like a vast computer and full of stuff that we don't understand consciously and yet is actually part of our way of comprehending the world and you know it's like art you you have to keep doing things over and over again to actually get the sense of what it is what the line will be whether it's words or or paint line that will actually set off the picture and it's like that when you're working with any form of complex system that you gain knowledge through working with it through your hands and through your physical presence. And that's something that we can do that 
is much harder for perhaps a computer-based algorithm to grasp or something that they might not be able to grasp at all. Certainly at the moment, yes, we don't we don't have AIs which are good enough. They would need to be AIs that interacted with the environment as well as processed and understood it. Okay, so in theory it is possible, but it's something we're very, very good at. So why not let us do it? And maybe that is our worth. Yeah, indeed. It is certainly certainly one. I think there are lots and lots of worth for human being, but I think that it's sometimes that you actually have to look at how it is that our society and in our society, basically human beings are only worth anything as a force of production and labor, usually for somebody else. And it doesn't allow you in many cases to develop um, your unconscious knowing of anything. And that, of course, will probably not happen in a neoliberal system because lazy people are evil. On this episode, you heard music from Ill, Konstantin Elfimov, West Coast, Mystery Mammal, The Atlas Room, Daniel Birch, Floating Spirits, Jared Sugar, and Illo Can Blow. Think Sustainability is made possible with the support of 2SER Radio, the University of Technology Sydney, and is heard around Australia via the Community Radio Network. I'm Jake Morecambe.